21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Thanks for coming on. Um, first, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do and your connection with Atchburg. Thanks, Andy. Well, my name's Trent Brown. I'm currently a senior lecturer um, at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I've been working at Monash for the last 12 years. Um, my connection with Atchbury was most recently uh, the past president for the last four years, and prior to that I was on the board of Atchbury Victoria for six, so in total 10 years I've been involved in Atchbury Victoria. Okay, cool. And w- tell me about your, your how you got into, what made you decide to pursue a PhD and ultimately end up uh, good question. So um, I was at uni and I was an undergraduate student at RMIT and my supervisor, um, or sort of one of the, the colleagues that I got along with at that stage was um, a person by the name of Bernie Holland, yes, who is here. now working for Atchford Victoria and he was my, uh, he went on to become my doctoral supervisor. But I had a conversation with him about the role of what an academic was and he sort of explained that it had a bit of teaching, it had a bit of research and it involved professional learning and working with teachers and engaging, you know, with teachers on multiple different levels. And um, I sort of, you know, liked the idea of what he was actually doing. And sort of, you know, when I was in, you know, the end of second and third year, I sort of had having a chat to him and said, "What what needed to actually go on?" And he sort of said, "Well, look, you know, you need to, you know, be advisable for you to go off and teach for a couple of years." And so I did so. So I worked in sort of secondary schools for three years and. Um, then we sort of con- always had, you know, continued the conversation and every yeah. now and again I just have a chat with Bernie and say, look, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, what, what you do and what role that you, you do. And he sort of said, well, look, that will ultimately lead into sort of working, you know, at the academic field and you've got to come back and go to uni some more and do some more research. And sort of that led me, you know, to go back and, and work with him and sort of ultimately, I, you know, my PhD was focused on physical activity research um, what was actually going With the on? Younger in, kids, older kids. Yeah, well, both. I was sort of looking at, um, you know, looking at year six, year eight, and year ten, and just how much physical activity was actually going on in their class in what their did classes. You find out? But th- there wasn't a great deal. So the physical activity levels, you know, um, and this was two thousand and sort of my PhD was from two thousand two thousand and three. You know, kids were only active for you know thirty percent of the lesson. Do you and, consider like walking movement of any yeah, kind of physical activity? That's right, right. And, that inc- and that included just walking or just you know hopping around on the spot basically. So you know of the thirty percent that students were you know engaged in some form of physical activity, there was only a minute percentage that they were actually vigorously involved. Um, what was causing the disen- or not the disengagement, but the lack of too much teacher talk time? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of classroom management by the teacher explaining what was what was to be done. Um, now, I mean, uh, you know, in hindsight, and having had twelve years as being an academic, I mean, you know, I quickly realised that physical activity is really important, but. Um, also, educating the students about physical activity is, is as important. Through the conceptual lens. That's right. So, um, I quickly sort of started to, you know, ask questions 
what I would consider as the what and why questions about why we were doing practice in certain ways and it ultimately led me to sort of think about you know physical activity in a slightly different way not just physical activity but also about what what was education what what was you know how was physical education contributing to education mm -hmm. um, and and ultimately you know was it about being fit or was it about being educated and I quickly realized it was about being educated um, but also seeking you know so ultimately my my understanding about education is that the purpose of it is for someone to be able to develop as a good person and to lead a good life. Now what that means is, um, from a physical activity standpoint, is that somebody actually needs to engage with, you know, movement um, and physical activity, um, but also, you know, acknowledge and understand the, that the experiences that they have um, allows them to um, really push those boundaries about what it means to, you know, experience life. And so I quickly sort of started to ask questions about practice and could see that, that, you know, without being negative, that some of the pedagogies that teachers were using were very narrow and it was just based on skill drill and, yeah. and fitness testing. And, and I sort of, you know, wanted to challenge those beliefs in, in some of the practice that I was, was looking at. And I was grappling at the same point in time with what, what sort of um, framework or what actually, you know, what lens can we actually use that um, is accessible to all teachers but also accessible in the, in the research world? And, and for me, um, I found something by um, a, a Scottish author by the name of Peter Arnold. And um, um, Arnold's work is, he presents it as three dimensions. Um, there's education um, about movement. There's so education... About physical uh, education. Yeah, yeah, about yeah, movement. Education about movement. Education through movement, through movement and education in movement. So can you give three succinct examples of each? Yeah, so education about movement is um, literally the theoretical study of it. So we can study the, the physiology, yep, the, physiology the biomechanics, the anatomy. Um, education through movement is um, we actually do something, we do movement to get better at something. So skill development, might be mental health, it might be health and wellness. Um, but we we do it for a, through, acti a, through activity for another you know for another purpose. So an you know instrumentality. So it's an instrumental goal. Yeah. And then the final one, education in movement, is um, this what I what what I conceptualise and how I understood it as being much more experiential. It came from the first person experiences. So um, narratives. Yeah. Um, in, in some yeah, in many ways, it's okay. about what you experience by participating. Um, you know, what do you, what do you feel when you go for a run or what are you experiencing, you know, when you go for a ride or what's, what's your level of enjoyment? Um, and so those... Can you say those three again? So education... Education about, education through and education in. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And um, his frameworks, you know, for me actually connected the dots about what the purpose of physical education should be um, about. And as I was looking at the academic literature, I found that quickly a lot of people were using Arnold's in, through and about movement as a philosophical justification for why we should do physical education. But there was very little, if any, additional literature apart from his one conceptual, conceptual philosophical writings in 1979 that anyone else had picked up. Yet it had existed in curricular documents, especially in senior secondary curricula, um, since you know, the mid-90s. So I was in interested. Scotland. 
um, Scotland. It also had made its way through um, into sort of the, the lay literature through David, some of David Kirk's work yeah. um, uh, in terms of educational value, curriculum study. Um, so I started, you know, addressing and picking, picking up on that. And I, I thought it as a conceptual apparatus, I think it still stands up as being really important because it actually grapples with the, how, I, how I come to understand what movement actually means. I mean, yes, we need to study it, but we can study it from multiple different lenses. And um, I, I'm, as, uh, you know, as a person, I think that somebody's emotional connection to movement, why they actually do it, is as important to studying it from an objective standpoint. And I think the sad thing here is what I'm hearing you talk about is what I believe in as well. And the sad thing is that a lot of curriculums out there do not reflect this and they're not preparing kids for meaningful, relevant experiences and, and choices that they can make, contextual kind of choices that they can make when they leave school. I totally agree. Um, that that aspect for me about you know a meaningful engagement is a, is a really interesting question about how somebody develops meaning from their engagement um, in movement. Now, you know we can go back to the literature, and a lot of people will talk about that people want to engage because of you know social reasons, or they get help you know healthy and fit, or they lose weight, um, and that there are lots of those reasons that physical education teachers will you know, stand up and say is the reason for why they exist. But I look at it and say, um, if you're not actually... on it? Sorry? Do you call bullshit on it? Well, I try not to because that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I try and be aware of, yeah. you know, um, how, that, how that looks. But I, I, at the same time, I sort of say, well, yeah, that's important. But if you're not emotionally connected to it, then, um, then you're not going to continue to engage with it. And so that... I think that what we've done is we've probably put our eggs in the wrong basket. We've said health and fitness is, is important and that's why we need to do it. Whereas for me, health and fitness is a secondary outcome of us participating. Yeah. And the reason that we should do movement is for, to meaningfully engage. I, I was talking to Justin O'Connor about this this morning. So he talked on the podcast for about 20 minutes this morning. And then I shared the story of um, the APEC conference in Hong Kong. Did you see that on Twitter? Yep. yep. Yeah, and Aaron Beal. Did you see Aaron Beal? Okay. He's a, a researcher lecturer from the University of Kentucky who trained under Bob Pangrass. Okay, yep, yep. So Aaron was one of the first uh, researchers I've ever heard say that gardening should be a part of PE. And in Kentucky, there's, I, I don't know how many schools, but I think he's using or trying to get schools to embrace the idea of physical activity for life so in some communities that might mean gardening or it might mean walking so i was in germany last week working with the school there or with, uh, d delivered a workshop there and there was a teacher from another school an international school who was sitting in my workshop and their school is located in the forest and we talked about yeah, you should make walking a part of the PE curriculum so i brought aaron uh, aaron did a skype call to share some of the research behind this so i think what you're describing is under that same vision. Yeah, and I mean philosophy. that's right. I mean, I mean, I get frustrated by the use of the you know of the the use of language of you know sport and games in phys ed. I mean, for me, it's it's about movement and physical activity for life. For life, that's yeah. right. So we need to engage in in different movements and, and different physical activities. Not sports, not games, but that's not excluding it in the curriculum. That's just saying it's one form. And so, but how, you know, can, how can your vision and the vision of people like Aaron and, um, and Justin 
uh, how can your vision be reflected in a curriculum, better reflected in a curriculum? I, I think that, I mean, for me, um, it comes back to the, you know, I would look at it in terms of the philosophy. Is you it know, Aaron's or Justin's. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's historical. It's socialisation. It's what, you know, what my colleagues have done in the school previously. Somebody needs to challenge them and stand up and say, as you said, call the bullshit on it and say, yeah. no, no, it's not just about sport and games. That privileges a certain few in terms of what goes on. Who's to say that mountain biking isn't as important as walking, which isn't as important as basketball? It's just that in phys ed curriculum for the last 40 years, as the researchers say, you know, tell us, is that that's the games-based curriculum that gets privileged. But more and more, you see that you know the engagement and, and to look at you know um, any of those activities um, has its place and has its meaningful place. Um, you know, as a sideline, I remember having a chat to my son who's 11, and he said, "Dad, what? Why isn't a parkour or free running in?" a PE curriculum and I said well son it should be it's an example Absolutely. of what actually goes on and and I've seen and heard some teachers I mean I haven't seen it you know a lot in the literature but I've spoken to a couple who talk about um, them doing different aspects of parkour now that for me is an example of um, a different form of activity that gets at the heart of um, you know looking at each one of those dimensions you can study running from you know an about perspective you can study it you know you can develop aspects of your fitness through it and you get a whole range of different experiences in it and those for me stand up yes um, and that's from you know when I'm looking at you know curricula it comes back to those three as being important them being acknowledged as being um, as important as one another and not being privileged in one another. Right. Um, one of my sideline sort of research areas is currently looking at senior secondary curriculum, um, you know, in Victoria and nationally and internationally. And it has turned into exercise science. It's now so, it's so practical that, that um, our students are looking at, you know, theory being the only way of material being presented. And that's having a course that Arnold would say is just about movement. At such a critical point when they're about to go off into university, when they should be absolutely embracing the values and lessons that you're describing, they should be embracing it at that point, ready to take forward a love of movement of you know, some way. It's an interesting point that you raise, yeah. that, that, that terminology, a love of movement. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to try and conceptualise for physical educators the difference between fun, enjoyment and love or passion. That yeah. they are um, sometimes, you know, esoteric descriptions of what we're actually you know, talking about. They exist, but are they measurable? Do we need to measure them? We know they exist. Um, and, uh, you know, I often have this conversation with, with you know, my students at, at university that I teach at about, you know, do you, what, what does it mean to love something? And they, you know, they're passionate advocates of loving a person or loving a thing and they describe it. And I said, well, that's what we need to actually generate and, and have our students focus in on in our curricula from, you know, prep or foundation to year 12. Um, and for their lifelong benefit of, of their learning, they need a love. Yeah. Um, and to try and, you know, put it in curricular terms, it's difficult. But that's the challenges um, that we face as both teacher educators researchers and practitioners. I think that it exists and, and people will agree with me that they can love something, they can love movement, but what, is, what does that love look like in curricular terms? I'm not, I'm not yet fully aware. But coming back to your previous point about a narrative, the narratives of somebody's experience actually gives us an, an, an in, 
it gives us a, a snapshot of being able to actually look at um, and start to actually address those things. And um, I think that the, the stories that we can tell, the more powerful stories that we can tell about um, each of our experiences that we have in movement. For me, it's cycling and I'm a devout cycling nut. Um, and I love, you know, cycling. Um, and I can describe it and, and talk about the experiences that I have in a race or going for a ride or did riding with my kids. Did you love of cycling from an early age or did it No, I think that, I think it evolved. I mean, I was always somebody who, who chose um, a range of different physical activities. I was, you know, that person who sort of would buy into a sport for one or two years and then choose another sport. And naturally, as I progressed, I dabbled you know, around, I dabbled figured, around figured exactly and figured it out. Now, I'm not an elite level cyclist. I'm, you know, I'm a C grader and happy being a C grader. Um, but I've got this real passion for it. There's something about, there's something about the act of cycling. Road or like, uh, mountain bike? Uh, road, yeah. road, R road and time trial. And, and for me, that's, that's something that's there, but I, I'm trying to look at, you know, I'm trying to look inwardly to see what it is about me that those, that the narrative stories can tell about other experiences. And then can to I add to that, question? yeah, go. I'm just curious, would you consider yourself more an introverted person or an extroverted person, or do you fall somewhere between? Because I sometimes wonder, like, uh, I sometimes wonder when we're trying to get uh, students to embrace being physically active for life and, and giving them relevant choices and, that are reflected in the curriculum, I sometimes wonder if it's, you know, if it's introverted students more who will turn to sports such as cycling or golf or running or trail running, hiking, whatever it is. So I'm just curious. Uh, interesting question. I think I'm probably, I would classify myself as introverted, but some people may say I'm extroverted just because of the, the, the nature of teaching, I suppose. Sometimes you, you put on a show, you, yeah. you have to actually do that. Um, I mean, going back to the question about the certain types of activities, I mean, my argument in phys ed is that um, it's not about what, you know, it's not about one sport because the power of a range of activities Having said that, I'm not a big fan of the smorgasbord approach of every single activity for two weeks. But that, but that, right? But I think it's that uh, that opportunity to uh, explore yeah. allows you to ultimately decide what's best for you. Correct. Correct. Now, I didn't pick up cycling through a phys ed curriculum, but there is, you know, there are aspects of that I think can exist. Now, it would be a bit like saying, I think, in terms of the experiences that we give our students, we actually have to challenge our students to experience a range of those in PE. So they need to actually experience what, it, what I think, ultimately, if they're to be physically educated, what it feels like to actually train for something or to do something um, so that they can push themselves to, the, to a point that they you know, can no longer go. Now, the reason I say that is because that's part of that's what I come back life. to yeah. of life yeah. and what it means to be a good human being is to challenge yourself. Yeah. Um, whether or not it's to run a 5K event or a 10K event or a marathon or a long distance ride or whatever it is, there's something Break that down barriers. you think about doing. Yeah. Um, and that for me is an example of what it means to be physically educated. Um, it's about those experiences, yeah. pos positive and sometimes negative. But... Um, the negative ones shouldn't be seen as being negative for the curriculum. They should be um, about how we can edu continue to educate those people in terms of what actually goes on, you know, yeah. in that space. Yeah. 
So uh, the idea with this podcast is I'm going to do like a part one, part two, part three, and so on, and it'll fall under the Atchburg conference. So when I put it together and send it to Mark, the communications guy, um, he's going to send it out to the database, like all of the people that attended the conference. Yep. So I don't know how many of those teachers will be listening, but what do you want to tell them? What, what kind of lesson? I mean, we've had a pretty good discussion here. So what is it that you want? Like, I hear you say that you have your curriculum in place, you have your student learning outcomes in place, that there is lots of flexibility in there to, to create opportunities to allow kids to explore multiple areas of physical activity. Like what would you want to say my, to them? My, my take-home message is that, um, I, that it's, it's a must that physical educators consider the emotional and personal aspect of their learning for, the, for their students um, alongside the more traditional approaches that we use. And how can they do that? They can, I think that they can do that by starting to explore and ask questions of their students' participation. What questions? What did it? What did it feel like? What did you experience when you started to actually, you know, do that? Can they actually write those experiences down? Can they share so those with you? Reflection. Yeah. They need to have time, as you said in your keynote. There needs to be some aspect of mindfulness or mindful, reflective thinking. And um, we don't have enough time to be able to do that. I've had teachers challenge me when I present. You know, I, I, you know, I think you got from my keynote how powerful reflection is, not just for me, but for my students. Yeah. So I've created a culture over the years where the kids know that reflection is just an ongoing part of everything that we do. And that I use those reflections for to evaluate where my students are at when I report. And I've had um, teachers say, reflection, how can you use reflections to actually report? use for reports but I believe that reflections are huge for reporting what are your thoughts on that yeah I, I totally agree I think that you know the ways that teachers can actually you know engage with it is not only um, not only in class but actually develop you know a really um, strong approach in terms of their own reflection post lesson I mean you know if we start it right from you know prep all the way through I mean you know kids can actually Kids are really articulate beings about what they think, feel, um, and see about their participation. Um, so it's you know things like journaling, things like drawings, things like posted. They're, they're all expressions of rep or representations of their experiences. We shouldn't we shouldn't you know not have those. It's just that I think that we're we're often in the case where um, we don't we don't exactly know how to to use them effectively. Do they exist, as I said, um, and can and should they you know, be used in reporting? Of course they do, because it provides us with context about their learning. Qualitative. Qualitative, qualitative understanding about what goes on. Qualitative. I completely disagree. Yes, I mean, so I. It's a, it's, it, is a, it is a mix. Um, it's a mix of both approaches that we need to be able to use. You know, qualitative researchers and qualitative people who you know naturally gravitate towards that will never say throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. They'll never say we're not ever to do quantitative reporting. Yeah. I, I don't. It's often I don't hear the same of quantitative reporting talking of qualitative research. Yeah. yeah exactly. Whereas I think that we accept and understand that it's a it's a different you know it's a different way of understanding the aspect. And somebody once you know told me about the difference between 
qualitative and quantitative. Quantitative gives us numbers and can be really powerful in terms of you know, exposing it, but if you really want to know the why and how of things going on, then you need to actually ask those questions and actually get people to talk about to it. Listen. To listen. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, you know, my, t my, my message is that, you know, the emotional, the, um, the subjective, the embodied experiences that people have are important. We need to recognise them in PE. We need to actually privilege them. Um, privilege might be a strong word. We need to see them sit alongside our more, con you know, our more traditional teaching styles of, you know, tactics or skill development. Yeah, but we can also talk back to them about their feelings and their thoughts yeah. and what they're actually. I believe that, about they, and, and in doing so, I'll show you an example when we're done this podcast of something I'll, I'll share with you that amazed me. But in a nutshell, I was um, uh, it was sports day, and I had prepared my kids for sports day, and I, and I thought that I had prepared them well, and really uh, emphasized the values of personal excellence and resilience, and that it's not about you against anybody else, and. And then on sports day, you know, imagine the 50-meter sprint. So I've got grade three students lined up, and I'm looking at the starter, and I see some kids shaking like a leaf, you know, so scared. And they didn't show any of that at all during the unit. And I, I asked a bunch of questions at the end of the unit, like, what are some major feelings that you had about sports day? And I got all of these answers, scared, uh, nervous, all of these, a lot of negative emotions. So then I started to unpack why. And I realized it was a great learning moment for me because yeah, I had prepared them to be physically ready for sports day. But I realized that I did not prepare them emotionally for that moment. So what I did the following year was I took pictures, or that, that year I was taking pictures of the uh, start line and what it looked like with parents down on both sides and all the kids watching and to use those pictures the following year to say, okay, when we're out here on the field practicing right now, you're not gonna see anybody, but on sports day, this is what it looks like. And I think that had an impact on them to prepare them. And I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not asked those questions and unpacked why they felt the way they did. And, and you'd be one of the very few people who I know who, who does that, you know, regularly in terms, of their, in terms of their practice. It's not well understood on, you know, but yet, it's a, it's it's one of the most powerful things to you know, as you said, unpack or address. I mean, there are plenty of examples of you know students who we work with who fear you know an aspect of their learning in movement. You know that the most consistent one that I see, and it, you know, in PE class or it might be external, is the kid who fears entering water for the first time can be absolutely petrified um, and their parents are sitting alongside, they're trying to calm them down, they're trying to actually get them to actually just step, put a foot in the water with either swimming lessons or other aspects of what goes on. But we need to remember that that, that fear that can you know, eventuate is a powerful, powerful emotion. But once we can control it and once we can overcome it, who's to say that that person doesn't go off and lead a physically active life by swimming every day yeah. and so we actually need to grapple with and understand the note that the emotions and the emotional aspects of, of what goes on and I think that there's a quite a, there's quite a good body of literature in sports sociology now that's developing about that but it's taking a long time to filter back I think into adolescence physics. as well right with all the physical changes yeah. and then 
the, the feelings that they have becoming physically active because they're a little more uncoordinated when those changes are taking place. And, yep, totally agree. Yeah. So anyways, okay, thank you very much. No worries, okay. appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk to you again sometime. Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.